Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. I was 11 years old at my first national championship. I fell I don't know how many times. Michelle Paul is the most decorated figure skater in U.S. history. When I had a dream, my dream came true because I dedicated myself. Dedication made Michelle Kwan a champion. I was passionate about something, and I made sure that I worked hard for it. And dedication can make your dreams a reality. Whatever your dream and goals are, they can come true. Dedication. Pass it on from the Foundation for a Better Life at values.com. The Meditation Museum in Silver Spring, Maryland offers a variety of courses and activities to make your life go a whole lot smoother. Located at 9525 Georgia Avenue, you will be able to experience the beautiful silence that's in the space. There are courses in Raj Yoga Meditation, Positive Thinking, Stress-Free Living, and Personal Development classes. For more information, call us at 301 588 or visit us online at meditationmuseum.org. I 
Welcome, everyone, to America Meditating Radio. That was Karen Drucker. I guess you can guess the theme of that song, I Am So Blessed, to really walk around with the awareness that there's a lot more good than there is bad in our lives, and we need to begin to serve that more because the negative and the distractions will just take us away from the reason why we're here. Not to say that the negative stuff isn't also helping but to recognize that sometimes the negative stuff is just to push us further, push us along, because we get complacent when everything is in order, <laughs> when everything works out right and and people are nice and, and work is great and the kids are perfect and the spouses are perfect and the friends are perfect. We can get very complacent and then lose sight of sometimes the drive, the enthusiasm, the wind you know, the wind beneath your wings that really keep you flying. I hope today has you in a good spirit and counting your blessings as much as possible. I know sometimes we forget, um, but it's good if we just keep remembering. I'd like to make a request to all of our amazing listeners. Can we start to send, like, our blessings and our pure wishes and good wishes to the country? To sort of every citizen in the country doesn't matter what side of the political party line you might fall under, whether it's blue or red or green, but to send your blessings, which means your purest wishes, to the citizens of this nation, that we begin to find ways to coexist with respect and honesty and peace and openness. Can you do that? Every hour in the hour, just take five or ten seconds. I send respect and love and peace, understanding, whatever you wish. Like, I just send these vibrations to every living human being residing in this particular part of the world in the United States of America. And since we go out to the whole world, then I'm asking you, the whole world, send your good wishes to the land and to the citizens of the United States of America. We've been under so much duress that we've not been able to even be clear anymore. I've found some of the most positive-minded people have become the most negative. And I've bumped into a few negative people who just seem to be quite positive about what's going on in the country. And so I'm just um, making this humble request that may us, may we all just find a way to be respectful, um, loving, understanding, kind, and just open, open to growth, open to newness. I know the negativity can, as I said earlier, can definitely push stories forward, and that's a good thing. But let it not be at the price of our own preservation of the spirit. Today gives me great privilege to welcome Carrie O'Driscoll, 
who is a child of the 70s and a Pacific Northwest native. Carrie has been described as a tree-hugging, granola-eating idealist, and it takes it as a, and takes it as a compliment. She writes about social justice, parenting, mindfulness, food, and her family. Her after completing degrees in biology and philosophy from Pacific University in Oregon, she went on to work in various healthcare settings before realizing writing was the most compelling activity she could imagine doing. She founded the Self Project in 2015 to share her adolescent social emotional health curriculum with educators and parents. She also writes on her personal blog, and her work has appeared online in multiple outlets. Her new book is entitled One Teenager at a Time, Developing Self-Awareness and Critical Thinking in Adolescence. Today we welcome Carrie O'Driscoll to America Meditating. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I was thinking that you would cry our next-door neighbor. We have a new neighbor coming next door to us, and they've bought the property, and they cut down all the trees that were next door. It must have been about 80 oh. trees. And I would say, oh, my oh. God, Carrie would be bawling. She would call <laughs> the tree patrol. She would raise a war. <laughs> it's been interesting because even though I'm not a tree hugger, even just looking at those healthy trees, just lying there, I just felt sad. So I get it. I get it. Anyway, let's move on to to you. Um, your academic background is in biology and philosophy. So tell our listeners yes. what inspired your interest in adolescent social and emotional health and education. Well, I think, I mean, historically, I've always been, I mean, since I was a little kid, really, just an advocate for other kids. There was always something. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a younger sister who really struggled, and I think there was just always something in me that really wanted to advocate for other kids and sure. um, help them raise their voices. When I went to college, I thought that I was going to do that by becoming a pediatrician, which is why I started um, doing my work in biology and chemistry. But because I went to a liberal arts school, I was forced to take these other non-science classes like philosophy. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I discovered that instead of being different and incongruent, that the science and the philosophy actually worked really well together. And they really inspired in me this deeper understanding, this more holistic understanding of people and how we work and how we live in community Um, and how we influence each other's biology by the way that we interact with each other. How are we functioning with each other? Um, For example, if I am mean or selfish or unkind to you, what does that do to me biologically, for example? I mean, I think the most important thing to understand is that we don't exist in isolation. We exist in community. Mm -hmm. We are... Yes. You know, we are biologically wired to be in community. We have systems within each of us individually that respond to the energy of other people, whether we want to recognize that or not. And so, I mean, if you, you know, if someone says something to you that really touches you in a certain way and your whole body gets goosebumps, that's mm-hmm. that's you physiologically responding to someone else's energy. And 
we know that energy is contagious. We know that mood is contagious. We know that temperaments can sometimes be contagious. And so it's impossible to distance ourselves from the connections that we have with other beings. And I won't just say human beings, you know, I mean, animals and trees as well, actually other biological mm-hmm. beings. We are inextricably connected to them and they influence our physiological reactions and we influence their physiological reactions. It's fascinating mm-hmm. to think about the positive and also really challenging and detrimental effects we can have on each other just by the way right. that we're acting. I think that's why the, the the times that we're in with all the negative rhetoric that is out there getting a lot of the mass media attention and so many of us just passing by it, whether you're on Twitter, social media, or just at lunch with somebody, they can't help but raise the conversation. Did you hear what happened today? And I've even watched myself fall prey to that. And whenever I catch myself like a minute or two later, I go, Jen, you need to just om shanti that. Get over it. Mm-hmm. Focus on what you are doing to make the world a better place, you know. And so it's a very unique time for us to become very vigilant in becoming self-aware. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I totally agree mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. Now, the curriculum contained in your book, One Teenager at a Time, is said to be innovative, creative, and it draws on maybe some of the most current research in education, mindfulness, adolescent brain development. Now these e-cigarettes and all of that has become a big thing in terms of how it's impacting the development of teenagers in their brain. Could you Mm -hmm. share with us an overview of the curriculum and tell us more about the research that was referenced for your book, including the adolescent brain development? Sure, absolutely. So I worked for many years for the Washington State Mental Health Division in their children's long-term inpatient psychiatric program. So adolescents are my favorite human beings on the planet. I, they're fascinating. Their brains are growing and developing in ways that we're just really beginning to understand. So it's a very unique time in human development, which is something that I drew on heavily. But I also wanted to draw on some sort of seemingly disparate other kinds of things. So I used a lot of work from Brene Brown, who does work on shame, mm-hmm. shame. Um, uh-huh. the Chopra Center. Um, and um, I have a mindfulness practice. Um, I've read a lot of Hema Chodron and Thich Nhat Hanh, you know, and then some social justice writers like Bell Hooks and Maya Angelou and Gloria Steinem. So it's really... I put together this curriculum that is really rooted in three different things, nonviolent communication, mindfulness, and adolescent brain development in a way that we can get all of those things to work together to help teenagers as their brains are changing so rapidly and their emotions are so volatile to really develop resilience and good patterns that they can take into their later life so they can understand Mm -hmm. what is a good relationship, what are strong, healthy boundaries, how do I develop a self-awareness and a mindfulness practice so that I'm not reacting to things, but I'm choosing to make my way in the world in a specific, deliberate way. 
Nice, nice. Now, how are mindfulness and meditation incorporated into the curriculum? So there are six different lesson areas. There's mindfulness, compassion, positive mindset, self-worth, stress, anxiety, and fear. And then there's a chapter on sort of some basic um, adolescent brain development and communication styles. And each one of the subject areas has multiple lessons within it. Every single lesson has a guided meditation as very anchor. Mm -hmm. So knowing that people learn in different ways, knowing that adolescents are very socially driven, we start with a story and, you know, active discussion to, to really give them that sort of social outlet. And then gradually we bring it closer and closer in. There's an activity that's either small group or individual that's associated with that particular lesson. And then every lesson finishes with a three to five minute guided meditation that the hope is that that will really sort of sink all of those ideas that we've just discussed into your bones. Mm-hmm. And I think that those, you know, for a lot of people, whether you're a teenager or not, meditation is difficult sometimes. And and what I've found with the teenagers that I've worked with is that if I do a guided meditation that's pretty visual, that has lots of different um, sort of cues, you know, things that they can imagine, that that holds their attention for longer and it becomes more impactful as a way to meditate. Mm, nice so important for our kids to learn meditation nowadays because with all the distractions that they've got to deal with in this generation it isn't easy just no, isn't it's not just isn't no isn't. yeah so what are the soft skills carry that are vital that are like a vital piece to the growth and development for our youths and how do these skills actually help them navigate education after high school or maybe even into the workplace I mean, I think that there are, you know, some essential skills that we need just as human beings. Like I said before, you know, we are wired to be in community. And as much as we talk about, you know, raising kids to be independent, none of us is truly independent. So those skills have to do with being in community in a way that's productive. You know, how do we create relationships that are healthy and useful? How do we stay true to ourselves and stay grounded in who we are in the midst of those relationships? That's another one of those. So that's why I think self-awareness is a really, really important soft skill. Um, You know, we need to know, it's really easy, especially as a teenager, to kind of lose yourself in in the crowd and not be able to really, you know, identify what are my why am I doing this? Am I doing this because everybody else is doing it? Am I doing this because I really want to? You know, when they get into, when they get after high school, whether it's trying to figure out what do I want my career to be or am I going to college, what is my major going to be, you need a lot of self-awareness to be able mm. to answer those questions and yes. be happy about the answers. And then I think, you know, you, the other soft skill is really to find um, a flexibility or a faith that things are going to be okay. You know, when things start to fall apart, that 
to have that understanding that this is a moment in time and at every second I have a choice point. And Mm -hmm. even if the choice that I make right now is to just sit quietly while this storm rages around me, that's a valid choice. Mm -hmm. Um, That's good. Knowing that we don't have to rush out and fix (laughs) everything or do something or have an answer. Yeah. I think it's really important. I might be sounding quite ignorant, and it won't be the first time. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and 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 I feel like I wonder. It's a it's more of a question, sort of like something to ponder on. Mm-hmm. How much do we, as the adults, really understand the the time, the atmosphere, the stage of youth of this particular generation when? You've got this deal with likes and followers and things are moving 10 times faster. I've had a lot of moments, Carrie, where I've sat back and I've said, I wonder what is it? I mean, what are they feeling? Because this is their norm. We've sort of been through different aspects, but since they were five, seven, eight, they're in this culture and, you know, here we are sometimes telling them this is going to be, we don't know, I, I don't know. And sometimes I wonder, how do I really, really capture, you know, how they must be feeling or thinking? Have you ever caught yourself there in that kind of a mindset? Absolutely. And I think, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately, they're stuck in that mindset, too. I think, unfortunately, what we're one thing that we don't teach kids is how to feel and how to recognize what they're feeling. You know, all too often we go, you're upset, and, and the fact that you're upset makes me uncomfortable, so stop acting like you're upset. <laughs> you know, I mean, mm-hmm. quit crying. It's not a big deal. Like the kinds of things that we say to kids on a regular basis a lot of times are designed to shut down emotion. And so I think it is overwhelming. And as overwhelming as it is for us as adults who care about young people, it's more overwhelming for them. And my goal is to help teach kids that it's okay to feel, that there is no feeling that's bad or, you know, negative or inappropriate, and that it's important to understand that you you are entitled to feel whatever you feel. It's important to understand where that came from and what it looks like. And it's also important to understand that, again, at every second, you have a choice point. You get to okay. decide, will I sit here and let this feeling subside? And then mm-hmm. get really curious about why did that affect me so strongly? Why why did okay. that bother me? Without judging. And I'm about to jump in here because isn't that our old way? And they're looking at our generation, uh, one that's grappling with so many issues and are taking us down the rabbit hole, that are they reaching a place within their own lives where they're more detached about certain things than we are? And we have been taking a lot of time in just to process something like 10 years ago. And they'll be like, just get over it, Mom. Just move on. And you're like, no, you, you're in denial that you don't understand. I can see it in your face. And your poor son or your daughter is going, Mom, just get over it. It's not a big deal. 
and you're wondering, you know, is my you know what I'm trying to tell you, right? <laughs> I do, I do, and I think there's a difference between understanding what I'm feeling and being able to name it, and mm-hmm. perseverating on it. And I think sometimes as adults, we do we can perseverate on it. We can say to our kid, no, I want you to talk to me about that. No, I want you to explain it to me. No, I want you to, you know, and they do go, oh my God, I roll, leave me alone. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, I think it is important for us to not make things a bigger deal than they are right. for our kids that we care about, but at the same time to let them know that it's okay to feel whatever you're feeling. Because I think a lot of times what, unfortunately, what we teach kids is you feel that feeling that's pretty unpleasant to feel and then you mask it. Like how many times have you heard somebody say, oh, my God, what a day. I need a drink, you know, and kids are doing the same thing, right? Like I need to block this out, so I'm going to go get high or I'm going to go, you know, do something that that's going to make me forget that I had that unpleasant feeling. And so I think it yeah. is important for us to, to say to them, yep, name it, feel it, let it go. I definitely get that in our generation because I feel that we have held on to so much because we had more time. And I keep thinking about, I just look at, I look at myself, but I look at the kids. They're passing through things mm-hmm. so quickly, you know, they're just passing through things so quickly. Um, Tell us about um, maybe what are the five protective factors for healthy families that you've identified so far? So I, that work actually came from an organization called the Strengthening Families Foundation. And it's Mm -hmm. really pretty fascinating. Um, So they've identified five protective factors for healthy families that I think really are embedded within the curriculum of one teenager at a time. And they are resilience, social connection, support, understanding developmental stages and what comes along with all of those, and social-emotional competence. And so, again, none of those things are about, you know, financial success or, um, you know, having a bigger house than your next-door neighbors or, you know, things that we consider the traditional hard skills. These are all about soft skills. This is about being flexible. It's about being connected to people around you. It's about knowing that when things start to fall apart, you have support, being able to speak with each other in a way that is loving and honest and having healthy healthy boundaries with each other. So what the Strengthening Families Foundation has discovered is that families that have these five key factors that they tend to be really connected with each other. They tend to be able to deal with adversity when it comes up um, and really just keep moving as a healthy family unit. They tend to not fall apart. And I mm-hmm. think that that's really important for us to know. Mm-hmm. That's good. It's good to know. It's good to know. Um, so one of the methods of teaching is leading with stories and how they relate to a topic Is there a reason why this is Mm -hmm. key? Yeah. You know, one of the other things about the human brain is that we are wired for patterns. We want to do puzzles. We want to solve problems. We want things. We actually get a hit of dopamine when something makes sense 
to us. So if someone tells you a riddle, you kind of get a little freaked out until they tell you the answer to the riddle. And then all of a sudden you physically get a hit of dopamine and you go, ooh, yay, I feel good. That was awesome because that all made sense to me. Mm -hmm. And so leading with story is a way to kind of hook people into a conversation Especially it's important if there's, a, if there's a particularly difficult conversation because one thing that we know is we're not teaching kids how to have difficult conversations with each other, which is part of the reason we have the political discourse we have now is because our generation hasn't necessarily had enough practice having difficult conversations with each other. So leading with story is a really, really great way to sort of hook someone's attention and then get them to start leading with curiosity and asking questions. And that is so much a part of mindfulness and mm. keeping an open mind. That's lovely. Makes them go deeper too. Mm-hmm. Mm. So tell us about the self project that you started. What's the mission? The whole idea behind the self project is really just to create happier, healthier communities um, across generations. So it is to create um, stronger relationships between adolescents and their caregivers, their parents, their aunts and uncles, their ex- other extended family, and also themselves, among themselves, so that we can really sort of fulfill that biological need that we have to be in community. So I do mindful parenting coaching for parents of adolescents. I also work with teenagers in middle and high school settings um, to develop those skills. Um, And I do professional development for educators. Um, I do advocacy work in policy, education policy, so that we can really embed some of these principles and practices into the way that we work with adolescents. Because one of the other crazy things is that this, at this moment in time, adolescence is, human adolescence is the longest it's ever been. Mm-hmm. So that what is to say, you know, when, you know, 50 years ago, adolescence, generally they say physiologically adolescence doesn't start until puberty starts. And then it, it's considered done when the brain is fully developed. And before puberty, you know, 50 years ago, puberty didn't start until, you know, the mid-teens, 14, 15, 16 years old. It's starting for a lot of kids in this generation at 10. And it's not over until 25. So that's a 15-year period of time. It is the longest stretch of the longest developmental phase of human development. And it's kind of a big deal that we are proactive about it and that we really help kids navigate this and that we help parents of kids this age navigate this too. Mm, Interesting. Very powerful. So what's the main message you think you'd like to leave with our listeners today? I think the most important thing for me is to remember that we are wired to be in community. And so even as we see teenagers struggling to sort of individuate and break away from from their family, that doesn't mean that they don't still need to have strong connections with the people in their lives that care about them. 
and it's our job as educators, as parents, as aunties, as mentors, as coaches to continue to find ways that are meaningful to be there for them, to help them develop those skills that will carry them into healthy adult relationships because we are designed to be in community with each other. Yeah, I agree with that completely. Thank you so much for having us on air. And where can our listeners find more information about you and your book, One Teenager at a Time, Developing Self-Awareness and Critical Thinking in Adolescence? The book is everywhere. um, You can find it on my website. You can find it on Amazon. The website is theselfproject.com, and there is a lot of information on there about the other work that I do and occasional blog posts. And then all of the guided meditations are also recorded on that website. So if anybody wants to come just have a a little meditation interlude, come to theselfproject.com and check it out. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Carrie. It's been a delight and wishing you all the very best. Thank you. You too. Have a wonderful day. You too. Take care. Wonderful work. Um, I love the process that she's putting us through. So for some more information, go to CarrieDriscollWriter.com or TheSelfProject.com if you'd like some more information. So remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And we really are here to love each other the same. Here is Sunrise by Bliss.
I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.